0: Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: You are bombarded every day more than you realize with the ideas that chip away at both the authority and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ.
0: Locks, alarms, fences, and security systems, they're part of the world we live in today. Protecting our valuables from those who would steal them is important to most of us. But what if I told you that if we're not careful, one of the most precious things we own could be stolen? What am I talking about? Our theology.
1: There are all kinds of man-made religions and all kinds of man-made ideas and all kinds of man-made philosophies. And all of this misinformation can dilute the pure message of the gospel.
0: I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to this week's Crosswalk. Well, as we continue our study in the book of Colossians, we come today to the second chapter where, as Pastor Clay is going to show us, if we're not careful, our theology, that is what we believe about God, can be taken from us.
1: That dilution, that false message can even corrupt the very beliefs of the church itself.
0: The church at Colossae faced false teachers that were corrupting what the church believed about Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul had some strong words of warning, as well as words of encouragement and inspiration for the church.
1: See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ.
0: Things haven't changed much through the years. There are still plenty of people around who are trying to corrupt and change the beliefs of the church. And you and I have an obligation to do what we can to protect the pure message of the gospel. Now, here's Pastor Clay with today's message in the continuing series, Colossians. It's all about him. Holy, holy.
1: We're in Colossians chapter 2, working our way through a series entitled, Colossians. It's all about Him. And we're going to be reading the entire chapter today, which may seem a bit lengthy, but hang with me and we will see where God takes us this morning. Again, Colossians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea. And for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I say this so that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Having been firmly rooted And now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form." And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them, through Him. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. And the worship of angels, taking a stand on visions that he has seen, inflate it without cause, by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion, and self-abasement, and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you so much for this letter. Thank you for what it continues to teach me as I gaze upon its pages. Um, All this week I've been pondering Colossians chapter 2 and the implications of it for our lives, and it's a lot to bite off an entire chapter today, Lord, or at least attempt to. And I do thank you that these people are here and that we have an opportunity just to let you speak to our hearts and our lives. May each of us just, Lord, hear what you would say to us. May you receive all the honor and glory. May your kingdom be built and may our lives be what you would have them to be. In Christ's strong name, amen. Colossians chapter 2 is kind of culminating... Something that the apostle Paul started in the latter part of chapter one. If you were here last week, you'll remember this. In the latter part of Colossians chapter one, Paul turned to turn kind of a personal note uh, in his letter. He kind of got personal about his own life, about his own ministry, and began to reflect on those things. Because, as you remember, Christ has been. I mean, Paul has been virtually from the beginning building this case for the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Now, we defined that word a couple different weeks in a row, but basically the idea is is that he is above everything else. He is preeminent, and Paul has been building this case for the preeminence of Jesus Christ. The reason he's doing that really throughout the letter, but the reason that he continues to drive home this idea that, that Christ is preeminent is because... The church in Colossae had begun to be invaded, if you will, to use that term, by false teachers. Teachers that were beginning to uh, attack uh, two particular areas uh, that were very important to the life of the church. They were attacking both the authority and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. They were challenging both of those areas. In other words, when I refer to the authority, what I'm saying is that they were beginning or they were teaching the denial of the deity of Christ. They were saying that he was less than God, that maybe he's a good guy, maybe he was important, maybe he did some stuff, but he certainly was not God. And so they were attacking the very authority of Christ. And they were attacking the sufficiency of Christ. In other words, the, the sufficient accomplishment of His death on the cross to be a payment for our sins. They were teaching that what Christ did was important, but it wasn't enough, that there were some things that needed to continue. There were some things that needed to be done, more that you had to do in order to really complete this thing. And so they were attacking both the authority and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And so Paul begins to um, answer... Uh, those people there. He begins to answer the, the, the false teachers and he begins to defend who Christ is. And I've said this before, I'll say it again, it is very, very important for us to understand this today in the culture in which we live. Because even today, there are all kinds of ideas out there about who Jesus Christ was or is and what he came to do. There are all kinds of ideas out there about God and how you, how you get to him. There are all kinds of of man-made religions and all kinds of man-made ideas and all kinds of man-made philosophies and and all kinds of, 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 of whatever. And all of this misinformation can dilute the pure message of the gospel, the message that the church has been charged to deliver to the world. And if we are not careful That dilution, that false message can even corrupt the very beliefs of the church itself. Now, if you've been coming here since this series began, you're probably thinking, Dude, you sound like a broken record. You've said that over and over again. And yes, I will continue to say it because God has charged me with protecting the flock. This flock that he has given me charge over. And so, I will keep reminding you of that, and because you are bombarded every day, more than you realize, with the ideas that chip away at both the authority and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Now, let's get to uh, the big picture biblical principle of Colossians chapter 2. Well, wait a minute, before we do that, let me give you the, um, uh, let me give you the, the three we're on, the, we're on the third section. I better give you that first. Um, if you were here the first week, you know that I, I, that first week I gave you five sections of the outline, my outline, what I came up with for Colossians chapter 2. Other people come up with, it may look a different way, uh, but I broke it into five sections. And we've looked at two of them. Today we're going to look at the third. The first section that we looked at when we started this series was Jesus Christ presented. And Paul opens his letter with just this, what I think is this magnificent uh, introduction and presentation of of Christ and who he is that followed up with and we spent a couple of weeks looking at Jesus Christ preeminent and that idea will still continue to surface but but that section of uh, of chapter 1 latter section of chapter 1 really focused on that idea and so it's Jesus Christ preeminent. Today we get begin to move into the section that I've entitled Jesus Christ protected. Now, when I say Jesus Christ protected, I don't mean that he needs protection. That's like uh, saying, hey, we better protect that lion from those impala. No, that's, that's not the case. And we even read some of that just a moment ago. The uh, Apostle Paul makes it very clear that God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, is large and in charge. No, when, when I talk about Jesus Christ protect it. what I'm referring to is that you and I need to protect our understanding of our theology. Which is, in essence, to give you a little bit of a definition, the study and understanding of God. There is an outline if you'd like to take notes and feel free to do so. That's what theology is, basically. It's the study and it's the understanding of God. We need to protect that. And specifically within the context of Colossians chapter 2, there are a lot of different disciplines in the area of theology, but specifically in the context of chapter 2, we need to protect our Christology, Which is our study and understanding of the person of Jesus Christ, and we need to protect, wait for it, our soteriology. Yeah, (laughs) impressive. Our soteriology, which is our study and understanding of our salvation. So, theology is the overarching idea of who God is and our understanding of Him, and within that theology, we need to. Look at protecting our Christology, our study and understanding of Jesus Christ, and our soteriology, our study and our understanding of our salvation. Now, I apologize if it sounds to you like I'm, an, I'm attending a big word convention or something. But this is important, ladies and gentlemen. This stuff matters. You need to know this stuff because you are attacked every day in subtle ways and sometimes in not so subtle ways. The very ideas of who Christ is and what Christ has done are constantly being bombarded with attacks against that against ultimately the enemy and so you need to know this stuff and so that's i'm just i, I i've just never been a big believer in dumbing it down i just be honest with you now i don't think we ought to make it over but i've never been a big believer in dumbing it down if I, if I was having open heart surgery i go to the doctor and i say now you've done this you know what you're doing right he says well yeah I, I'm, I'm pretty good at this but tell you the truth my professor kind of dumbed it down the week when we got actually got into the heart i but I, i'm pretty sure i no no i don't want that guy I don't want the dumb it down guy. No, to present the whole truth, and that means protecting our theology, protecting within that our Christology and our Soteriology, our understanding of who Christ is and our salvation. Now, let's get to uh, what I'm calling the, the BP square, the big picture biblical principle for Colossians chapter two, and it's just this. All you really need to know is Jesus Christ. Now, Paul opens this part of his letter by expressing his love and his concern for the people in Colossae and Laodicea which was a nearby city who would also read the letter that's what they did in those days you know it was just one letter they didn't, everybody didn't have a copy of God's word it was one letter and they would pass that letter around to, to other churches and other cities, and so uh, he's expressing his concern for the people at Colossae and the people at Laodicea and all those who, as he says, who have never, never seen my face. We've never met face to face. Paul has a pastor's heart, and he's concerned about them because he's heard that some of them are, are letting this teaching kind of begin to affect their lives. It's beginning to change their outlook about who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ accomplished for them. Now, watch the language that Paul begins to use in in verse 2 and verse 3 because it's very specific to uh, what they were facing in Colossae. In uh, chapter 2, he says, watch this. Watch the words he uses. And attaining to, and I'm going to emphasize some of this, all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The Apostle Paul uses some very specific language there because um, in Colossae, the two, I mentioned two last week, and I'll try and cover them both this week, but I, I went over a little bit last week one of the the main contributors to the corruption there in Colossae, the, the false teaching in, in, in Colossae. They were known as the Gnostics, the Gnostics. Uh, the Gnostics were really attacking the authority of Christ and His sufficiency. Uh, to some degree, they were attacking that as well. The Gnostics um, were, well, let me just tell you this. They got their name from the Greek word Gnosis which means knowledge. The Gnostics taught that they had a secret knowledge that most of the church was not aware of. The Gnostics were teaching that that there was a, a, a hidden treasure of knowledge that had been secretly passed down from the original apostles... The, the original guys that hung out with Jesus, that they had this secret part of the message that, that Paul and the rest of the church really wasn't privy to and it had been passed down to certain people with this knowledge and they had passed it on from person to person that they chose to pass it on to. And that, yes, while the church had some knowledge... Uh, about about Jesus Christ and they had some knowledge about about God. They didn't have all of the knowledge. They didn't have a, some of it was 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 a secret to them. Some of it had been hidden away to them and only the gnostics, only the, the those that, the, with the knowledge had this and only they could could give you the full message and they only gave it to those that they deemed worthy to receive it. So, when the church in Colossae gets this letter from Paul and they you know, take it out of the envelope, and they open it up, and they begin to read words like all the knowledge and wisdom and and secret and, and all these words, guess what? They know. They know exactly what Paul is doing. Paul is taking the Gnostics on, on their own turf, so to speak. He's using their very vocabulary against them, and they would have recognized it instantly because these were key words for the Gnostics, secret, hidden. True wisdom, true knowledge, full story. And when Paul begins to use these words in verse 2 and 3, they said, Okay, okay, we know what Paul's doing. He's challenging this teaching of the Gnostics. He's taking them on, uh, head on, with what they're teaching. And, And he says, all the wisdom, full knowledge, here it is, it's Christ. It's all about Him. That's what this thing is about. And so... We have to protect this, this idea, this knowledge about who Christ is. We have to hold on to it and treat it as something precious because that's exactly what it is. Paul takes on the Gnostics and he says, let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about what this knowledge is. And then he drives the point home in verse 6, where we're beginning in verse 6, where he begins to just use what I call these, these hymn phrases. Five times in, in, these, in these moving verses, five times he uh, uses the phrase, uh, in him. Three times he uses the phrase, with him. One time he uses the phrase, through him. It's all about him. That's what he's saying. Now, these guys, they think they're teaching you some secret knowledge. No, let me tell you something. It's all about him. It's all right there. It's wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And you've got to protect that idea that He is exactly who He said He was. He was God in the flesh. He came to earth. He went to the cross. He died so that you and I could have a relationship with God. He paid the price. He conquered death, hell, and the grave, rising again, and making it possible that the grace and mercy of God could be extended to you and to me. Don't ever let anybody steal that away from you. Protect what God has given to you. And the Gnostics, listen, they they apparently were very good at what they were doing. That's why Paul said in verse 4, he said, don't don't let anyone delude you. Don't let anyone lead you astray. Don't let anyone lead you into this false teaching. It's all about Him. It's all about Christ. False teachers are still doing the same thing today. It's it's, it's not a new trick. And they're very convincing. I was thinking just a couple of examples that uh, just from my lifetime. That, that's why guys like Jim Jones in the 1970s could convince perfectly rational people, hundreds of, personally, of, of, of perfectly rational people, to drink the cyanide laced Kool Aid and commit suicide. That, that's why uh, guys like the Wacko and Waco, whatever that guy's name was, uh, back in the 1990s, what was his name? David Koresh, thank you. That's why guys like David Koresh could could convince dozens of people that it was better to stay inside of a burning building and die than to leave his following. That's what they do, and they're very good at it. And you and I have to be very careful to what we listen to and what we hear. And we need to understand our belief in Christ based on what God has given to us in His Word, what is sometimes referred to as His special revelation. It is the primary way in which we learn about who God is and what God does in our lives. Now, it may not be the only way. There is what is sometimes referred to as general revelation. Uh, nature, uh, the creation itself, teaches us much about God. There is also special revelation where, uh, I, I, there is also personal revelation where God will sometimes speak into your life, into a person's life, and, and reveal some, some truth uh, about him or, or something to you or his plans or something. Like that. There, there, there is such a thing as personal revelation. But listen to me, none of the other ways in which God may reveal himself will ever contradict or conflict with what he has already revealed in his special revelation, the Bible. So, if you happen to hear someone on TV or, or anywhere else that says, I've received a special word of knowledge from the Lord for you, my brother. Now, I'm not, I don't want to dishonor them or anything. They, they, that that could be, but I'm telling you this. If what they have to say to you does not line up with what God has already said in here, I have a word for you. Run. Run from that person as fast as you can, because whatever they got, they didn't get it from God. Now, we've got to, we've got to protect our understanding of who Christ is, and Paul is is driving that home against the Gnostics. And we need to protect so this idea. We're protecting our understanding of His authority. In verse 9. Oh, you got to love verse 9. What is considered one of the great Christological statements in all of the Bible. The Apostle Paul says, For in Him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Notice the emphasis on both the deity of Jesus Christ, 100% God, and on the physical body of Jesus Christ, 100% man. Uh, how does that work? I don't have a clue. I don't, I don't know how that works. I just know that's what God's Word teaches, and I just know that's what Jesus Christ proved. He is the God man. And we have to protect that. Because remember, the false teachers were were attacking the very idea of who Christ was. They were attacking, just like they do today, His authority in our lives. Which is why Paul then says in verse 10 that He is the head over all rule and authority. Does that leave anybody out? I don't think so. Is protecting our understanding of His authority. And there's this part of it too in in this idea of protecting Christ. It is protecting our understanding of His sufficiency. Yes, we're protecting His authority. He is God in the flesh. But we are protecting his, our understanding of His sufficiency. Now watch this. Look at verse 11 and following through 15. And in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross when He had disarmed the rulers and authorities. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. It is the absolute Total, complete, perfect sufficiency of Jesus Christ for mine, yours, and anybody's salvation. Don't ever let anybody tell you that what Jesus Christ did on the cross wasn't enough. It was more than enough. And Paul here, I love verse 11 through 15, because he follows what is one of the greatest Christological statements in all the Bible. He follows it up with one of the greatest soteriological or salvation passages in all of the Bible. Because let me ask you, is there anywhere in there in what we just read, did you read anything in there that indicated to you or implied that Jesus Christ in any way didn't, wasn't able to completely finish the task? Yes? No? You can say it out loud. No. Is there anything in there that it would, it would uh, lead you to believe that there was, there's some sin that you may have committed that he was not able to cover? I, I'd say that out loud if I were you. No. Is there anything in this passage of Scripture that would in any way give you the idea that because he didn't finish it, you have to somehow uh, finish this thing up and wrap it up and, and bring it to its completion? No. 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 It is the absolute sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The other group of uh, false teachers that, that most historians believe were uh, infiltrating the church at Colossae uh, and that I did briefly mention last week were the Judaizers. Uh, the Judaizers were a group of people that, um, that claimed to embrace the idea of Jesus Christ as Messiah. But they said, yeah, 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 he, he, he's Messiah, but you've you still got you to be a good Jew you got to keep the Jewish laws, you got to keep the Jewish festivals, you got to keep the Jewish uh, Sabbaths, you got to keep the Jewish dietary laws, you got to keep everything. And, and, and if any of you Gentiles want to get in on, on this action, y'all got to become good Jews too, including circumcision, ouch, and you got to keep the laws, you got to keep the, You got to do it all. And Paul says, no way! Was, was there anything that Christ didn't cover? Was there any part that he couldn't handle? No, he says he, he, he took it all away. He nailed it to the cross. I love, you know, I, I, I'm getting excited just talking about it, and I have been every week when I read it, but I just get the impression in this part of the letter, you can just kind of sense that Paul's getting fired up here when he gets to this part, and he says, he, man, he's taken it out of the way. He's nailed it to the cross. He's done it. He's done all this. And listen, Paul's been fighting uh, In verse 15, this is the latter part of verse 15. It says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, having made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Paul has been battling. He's referring to the demonic forces, Satan, the spiritual realm. Paul has been fighting Satan and and the demonic forces and false teachers for years. And so Paul writes here in Colossians chapter 2, and excuse my French, but he says, Jesus Christ kicked butt and took names. He conquered every bit of it. He finished the task. He's done it all. You know what verse fifteen is? Why don't y'all ask me? Glad you asked. Verse fifteen is the biblical uh, uh, the biblical edition of the na na song. Did y'all know the na na song? Come on, y'all. Na 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 na. Hey hey hey. Goodbye, Saying Took it to the false teachers. Na 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 na. Na 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 na, hey hey hey, goodbye. Kick this butt. Na 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 na, come on. Na 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 na, hey hey hey, goodbye. Rose from the grave. Na 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 na, na 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 na, hey hey hey, goodbye. That's what he did, man. That's what he did. He took it on, and he was victorious. I'm about out of time. Uh, Let me tell you this. We're we're protecting our understanding of his authority. We're protecting our understanding of his sufficiency. And this is just important, ladies and gentlemen. We have to protect our understanding of your liberty. Look what he says uh, here in in these these closing verses. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. Remember, that's where the Jews say, oh, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. You got to do this, you got to do this. Legalism. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ Himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you because uh, by insisting on pious self denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they're not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For He holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nurses. You've died with Christ, and He has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about the things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Real quickly, there there are, and, and I'll talk more about this next week, but there are two Extremes that tend to, that people tend to gravitate to when false teaching gets involved about Christ and his sufficiency and grace and how all those things fit together. There are two extremes. One of them, one extreme, is extreme asceticism, the other is extreme hedonism. Now, extreme hedonism is um, the, the indul- overindulgence, really, the hyperindulgence in the things of the world. Extreme hedonism is that, hey, Woohoo! Let's do it all. I mean, this—I've been—I'm—I'm saved by grace. This body is just flesh; it's passing away. So let's just get into it. Let's just do it all. Anything that makes me—that would be extreme hedonism. Paul's going to deal with that in chapter three. He's going to deal with that in chapter three because of what he's dealing with now in chapter two, which is extreme asceticism. And extreme asceticism is basically hyper denial of any physical pleasures or any. Anything that that you might, you know, it's all about don't do this, don't do that, don't eat that, don't taste that, don't touch that. And so Paul's having to deal with that in chapter 2. And he says, man, Christ has, has brought liberty into your life. Why do you insist on going back into these rituals these do's and these don'ts, when you've been set free from all that. Listen, here it is. You've been set free from the bondage of sin, which he'll deal with next week in chapter 3, and you've been set free from the bondage of man-made religion. Ugh! Paul says, listen guys, it's all about him. It's all about him. All you need to know is Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. We're done. When I say, all you need to know is Jesus Christ, that may sound simplistic, but that's but it's not you and I will spend the rest of our lives exploring who he is and discovering what it is to have a relationship with him and learning how to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ it's it's everything for our lives but it's it's all about him he's the one all you really need to know is Jesus Christ do you know him do you know him
0: What powerful words from the Apostle Paul, and what a timely reminder for us today. The authority and sufficiency of Jesus Christ will always be under attack by those who wish to undermine the message of the gospel and the work of the church. Paul's words to the church then and today leave no doubt as to who Jesus was and what he accomplished on our behalf. As Pastor Clay reminded us today we have liberty from both bondage to sin and man-made religion. What a Savior! And as we continue to learn, it's really all about Him. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk.